Hello, welcome to Weekly Dose with Dr. Uday, where all your questions for your primary care doctor are answered. Our goal is to help our listeners make their wellness a priority and live out long, enjoyable, and fulfilling lives. everybody to this week's episode of Weekly Dose with Dr. Uday. I have a special guest. This is going to be so good. Um, Dr. Drillace, um here with us today. Um, and we're going to be talking about mental health um, in patients um, with cancer. So this is going to be a very well needed topic. So before we delve in, um, I'll start with introductions. So for those that don't know me, my name is Dr. Uday. I'm a board-certified family medicine physician. I'm based in Martinsburg, West Virginia, and I also provide aesthetic services for my clients. With both modalities, my goal is to have my patients not only feeling good, but looking good. So I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Drolet, who is just so nice enough to give us her time today. So very exciting. So Dr. Drolet, if you can introduce yourself, and then we're going to get right into it. Yeah, hi, I'm Dr. Renee Drolet. Um, I uh, am a psychiatrist. I was trained here in the Bay Area at UCSF um, with a specialty focus on psycho-oncology, which actually provides, uh, focuses on the mental health care uh, of clients with cancer from you know pre-diagnosis through treatment into survivorship. So that's really like the niche that I focus on. Um, and I serve clients mostly telehealth uh, in all of California, um, currently, right, right now. Yay. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah. So let's see. So I have, I, I, I'm trying to figure out what to ask you first, because they're just, this is just so good. So, okay. So I think one of the things we talked about before we hopped on is in your specialty where, you know, you're helping patients with mental health um, issues that have cancer. I remember asking you, is it that the patient has um, a mental health issue before they're diagnosed with cancer, or is it that with the diagnosis of cancer, which can be, um, which is life altering, mm-hmm. they develop mental health issues. So which is it, or is it both? And I'll let you um, delve into that. Yeah, it's, it's both. Um, so, and especially if you have a mental health diagnosis before being diagnosed with cancer, it's actually really important to be aware that um, things can become, you know, more challenging or you're just more at risk of having some mental health complications along the way. So it's really important to just kind of be attuned to that and not just like put it on the back burner. But um, I encourage folks to be a little bit proactive, you know, thinking about their mental health in addition to their physical health, because they both go hand in hand. It's really hard to to separate them. Um, And so it really is both. Um, And yeah, and then of course the the life changing diagnosis. Things can arise where maybe you haven't never really experienced anxiety or insomnia, um, or things that commonly come up during during cancer treatment. Um, I think one in four um, of patients who are diagnosed with cancer go on to have meet criteria for a major depressive disorder, um, but then only 5% of those people ever see a mental health provider for that. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, I, I don't know if just the mental health piece gets put on the back burner, it feels less acute, um, 
but definitely you know both to kind of come back to answering your question both uh mm -hmm. both folks who either carry a diagnosis beforehand or you know sometimes it's new um and cancer providers should be screening for there's a lot of distress screens um when when folks who who have cancer so um that oncologists and palliative care doctors and, and you know even primary care doctors I don't I don't know how familiar they are with distress scales but um, yeah. but along the journey of cancer treatment and even afterwards it's important to, to pick up um, because the, the level of distress is correlated to to um, uh, having a risk of having mental health issues like anxiety depression or exacerbating underlying underlying disorders Hmm. So um, with working with um, uh, this patient population, what obstacles have you um, noted or you see all the time um, that you can um, tell us about? Obstacles. So there's like systemic obstacles, but then there's also like individual, like patient specific obstacles. Which one are you? I will, I will say, I will leave it up to you, but in general, because at this point, you know, we're all learning from you. So, you yeah. know, whatever obstacles that we wouldn't expect or that you happen to see that um, is congruent with all the patients that you see. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the obstacles is that People don't know that this like subspecialty exists. Usually, unless you're um, maybe receiving treatment at a large academic institution, then they do sometimes have these um, distinct psychooncology programs that can be robust, right? Filled with psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, um, nutritionists. That's like the ideal, you know, ideal um, mental health support services that can be available. But oftentimes there's like a discrepancy in availability. So either um, it's not available where somebody is receiving cancer treatment or they don't even know that they could ask for this level of support. Um, I kind of liken it sometimes to like women's mental health, right? Um, it's, I think for so long it was um, kind of neglected or like the mental health issues were like siloed and separated from the other medical issues. Um, but I think over time as I don't know, more awareness of, you know, peripartum, postpartum, all like menopause issues became um, better understood in the context of like the comorbid medical things going on. I think similarly, there can be, there eventually will be this pattern of not like treating the mental health and physical aspects of cancer care as to just like, si like specialties within a silo, but like bringing them together Um and so I, again, kind of come back to answering your question. So I think one of the first obstacles is just not knowing that 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 um, specialty care exists and that you can look for it and ask about it. Um, so that's the first one. Yeah, and then when it does exist, sometimes there's like long wait lists or limited availability for people to get these services. Um, and unfortunately, you know, folks who do carry like a, a serious diagnosis, serious diagnosis may not have. Um, the time to to be on a wait list for a long period of time or um, uh, and then another issue I've seen recently in someone that I just recently started seeing uh, she's in survivorship um, mm -hmm. so she's completed treatment and because she completed treatment she's no longer eligible for these like psycho-oncology services where she was receiving them um, at a larger academic institution and so um I guess that that's another 
another issue that that comes up that like once you're once you're a cancer survivor, then then and it's a really big identity shift for folks to kind mm-hmm. of go from being, you know, the, a cancer patient receiving treatment and then now they're in survivorship. And so you it, there's a lot of mental health things that can come up at that point during that transition that sometimes gets missed, um, mm-hmm. even within you know larger academic institutions. And then so those are the systemic things, but then on the individual level, mm-hmm. um, co- common challenges that arise um, in addition to like common mental health issues, but there are specific um, challenges that can come up like fatigue. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's one really common thing that I see and and work with folks to address address fatigue and cognitive challenges that can come up after treatment. So maybe not being able to focus or have attention on things like they used to before mm-hmm. treatment. Um, and then there are cancer specific tre- specific cancer treatments. So like in breast cancer, for example, hot flashes come up a lot. And interestingly, there are a lo- there are a lot of overlap between the treatments uh, of some mental health issues and treating like hot flashes, for example, um, mm-hmm. that come up. So there are a lot of there's some, a lot of symptom management things that can come up in um, like the men- working with mental health or treating mental health in folks who have cancer or maybe are in survivorship from cancer but still having these challenges. Gotcha. So for um, anybody listening that is in that um, position where they have a cancer diagnosis and um, they um, are experiencing mental health issues, what, um, what advice would you give them? What actionable tips, if any, would you give them to um, yeah. them on their, on their journey? to, you know, obviously find somebody to cope. Yeah. So I'm really, so I'm really glad you asked this and I'm really glad that you do what you do, Dr. Uday, which is like provide this education for folks. So the first step is like being educated, right. About what resources are out there. Um, And then once you have that knowledge advocating for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, So ask your oncologist, ask your palliative care doctor, whoever you are working with, the social worker, right? Sometimes the the oncologists have social workers, like ask them if you are struggling, if you're realizing that you're not you're not functioning to the degree where you feel like you should be. And it's not just due to the physical limitations, but it's due to like emotional, social, psychological limitations. Ask about it, like ask for this resource. Um, and you'd be surprised. I don't know that the psycho-oncologists in the community are the best at like promoting themselves or making themselves like mm-hmm. making it aware that they're out there, um, yeah. but they are out there. There's some, that's something that I've been um, learning along my journey of being able to provide this service in the community outside of an academic institution is that there, they, there are there, there are people who do focus on this like subspecialty of care. So advocating for yourself mm-hmm. um, for that. And then um, most cancer programs also do have like other support services. So I think one of the hardest parts is feeling like helpless and alone um, and that you're struggling. And so um, if groups are your thing, for example, there are like support groups um, that you can that you can access um, and other other support services. So I would say like being educated is the first thing and then advocating for what you feel like you need. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, and just kind of check in with yourself at each point 
during like from the pre-diagnosis. So I say pre-diagnosis because sometimes like the anxiety of like waiting for that test result, right? Or waiting for that scan or waiting for that biopsy can be really triggering. Um, so really like check in with yourself at, at these different points um, of the cancer journey. So pre-diagnosis, diagnosis, treatment, um, survivorship, recurrence, wherever you are, like just check mm -hmm. in with yourself and see, you know, am I sleeping okay? Am I taking care of myself? Do I need more support? And then ask for it. That is amazing. Yes, that is definitely very helpful. So I'm actually gonna um, switch gears, just um, a couple of questions um, about you. So I usually ask the doctors that come on um, why they do what they do. So I'm gonna pose mm -hmm. that question to you. So why do you do what you do, doc? Oh gosh. Um, so I often wonder how much to self-disclose, right? Um, in the field of medicine and like how vulnerable to be in this space. Um, but so um, 13 years ago, I had just had my first child um, and I had very severe like postpartum anxiety, insomnia, um, like went three days without sleeping. And I remember going to the OBGYN um, and asking like, what, <laughs> what is going on? Is this hormonal? Like, please help me. Um, and I think, I, I don't know why, like I was never like linked to a women's mental health, like specialist at that point, I was given like three prescriptions. One was Ambien, Xanax and Celexa and like sent on my way. Um, and then maybe a list of therapists that I was then like instructed to call, but there, it was super isolating. Like I remember thinking, okay, so they're essentially telling me this is not normal. This is not part of the treatment. Like this is not part of what they expect to happen. Um, uh, here are some things, figure it out on your own mm -hmm. and, and, and go on your way. Um, it wasn't until later in my training that I realized that like the, there are services out there. Like for me at that point, it would have been really helpful to be linked to like a women's mental health provider um, who would, could understand the complexities of both like medically, what was going on with me, you know, large hormone shifts, all of that. Um, but I didn't have that. And I, and I now know that that exists. Um, and it's definitely more prominent. I don't know if it's just from like going through training or whatnot, but I feel like people know that women's mental health does, there is a specialty of women's mental health. Um, there's a lot of parallels. So when I worked um, at UCSF, I was part of their psycho-oncology program for a year. And um, there were a lot of parallels I could start picking up on of like, um, I'm going through this big change mentally, emotionally, um, there's a lot of focus and attention on treating me physically, like what my medical issues are. And, um, if there are mental health issues, maybe they're less important or, um, like here's a referral or here maybe is a medication and go on your way. Um, it, it, that next step of like linking the mental health and, and medical, medical illness, um, thankfully, so where I trained at UCSF, like they did a really good job of, we did a really good job of collaborating, right? The mental health providers would meet like weekly with palliative care providers and oncology providers to discuss yeah. cases and um, really collaborate in that way. And so um, I decided to 
increase access to this level of care in the community um, and really not like for, for um, folks who have a cancer diagnosis to feel less alone in navigating the complexities of both. Um, and yeah, so I saw a lot of parallels in my own experience and then I could see where things could get missed. And I, my hope is to not, you know, to help people feel like they, we don't, we don't have to miss things or, um, we can take care of it together. Um, and so I, I make a really big effort to collaborate with anyone who comes to me, collaborate with their oncologist and reach out to other medical providers they have so we can all be on the same team um, and take it like really take into account holistically what's going on with people from the medical side, but then also from the mental health side. That is beautiful. And just, yeah, yeah. thank you so much for sharing that. So it was kind of from personal experience and then through your training, you were able to, Hey, there are other people that would probably be going through the same thing. And then it's, it's almost like creating something that you needed. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. is, which is amazing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and then the other question I ask is with all the experiences that you've had, all the life you've lived so far, if you got a chance to meet your 20 year old self, mm-hmm. what would you tell them? What would you advise them? And that's a loaded question, obviously, right? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take one moment and think about that. Um, (laughs) I always smile. It's like it's like a snicker when I ask the question. Um, And I know I should have been prepared because I've heard you ask this question before uh, to some of your other guests. Um, And I, for whatever reason, was maybe hoping that that was (laughs) Um, we wouldn't get to it. No, uh, actually I, um, so I, I'll give a little bit of context. So I have three children. Um, my son was two years old when I started medical school. Um, and then I had my daughter during medical school and then my son during residency. And I think it would have been a lot easier earlier on when I first started training if I knew that it was okay to advocate for what I needed, mm-hmm. um, that advocating muscle <laughs> mm-hmm. has grown in strength as I've yeah. you know gone through training. Now I finished training, but I still find myself like kind of even advocating with myself for what I need. Um, because I think as physicians, but especially as women physicians, we put our needs on the back burner. Um, and so sometimes I find myself advocating within myself for myself. Um, but I think if I had started to develop that muscle earlier on and like not necessarily like hiding parts of myself, so I would like purposefully not tell, you know, during medical school, you know, prop, um, preceptors or other people that I was a mom, right. Um, you know, hiding those things of myself, it was seen as a weakness and, you know, do I go and like hide and pump, you know, what do I do? Um, so I think that advocating muscle and that, that like goes beyond just like physician, women, physicians in medicine. Like, I think that goes to our patients. Um, like you can advocate for what you feel like you need. And majority of the time people will help you find what you need. They'll say yes. Um, and I learned that later on during training, um, that you just have to advocate for what you need. And, um, 
and go from there. So that's what I would, that would be the advice I would give my 20 year old self is be kind to yourself, advocate for yourself. Um, and things might go a little bit more smoothly. I love it. Okay. I, I always ask that question because there's always someone out there listening that could benefit from it. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So um, for those that are listening that would love to look you up, um, love to schedule an appointment with you, how can they find you? So I have a website. Um, it's drolepsychiatry.com. Uh, and drolet is D-R-O-L-E-T psychiatry.com. Um, so you can like schedule a call with me there, reach out to me that way. Um, all my information is on the website. Um, and then, you know, if you're a, you know, a colleague and want to connect, I'm on, I am on LinkedIn, um, Renee Drolet. Um, and yeah. This was so good. Thank you. so Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Uday, for having me. I'm really glad we were able to make this work. And I do love what you do, like educating folks. Um, you have no idea like how many times I'm like going back and trying to think, how do I educate this person on this SSRI? And I feel like I'm reinventing the wheel, right? Um, but you put it in a podcast, which is genius. Um, so thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. Thank you. For me, I love to learn and it's always the best thing. Knowledge is power, right? So we want to definitely put that knowledge and power in the hands of our patients. So guys, look her up. She is amazing. And on the flip side, if you're looking for a quality um, primary care physician, um, contact us at Apple Valley Family Medicine. We're accepting new patients. Our number here is 304-350-1087. Or you can look us up online at www.applevalleyfamilymed.com. So you guys have an amazing week, Dr. Julie. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Uday. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, share, and include a review. Don't forget, you're worth it, and your health is our priority. Tune in for another episode next week, and have a great rest of your week.